Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. You know, I think my biggest obstacle was feeling like I had to operate in a way that wasn't authentically me. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hey, this is Adam Marks. I'm a tech founder, writer, and consultant, and I've been listening to The Women in Tech podcast for about three and a half years now. Esprit does a phenomenal job spotlighting female entrepreneurs from all over the world And one thing I love about the show is listening to their stories and how they've built their companies and organizations. We should always be pushing for representation and equality every time we go into the boardroom, every time we look for co-founders, every time we look to hire employees for our companies. So support representation and equality, support the Women in Tech podcast, follow me at AdamMarks13 on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And remember to always look for the orange sunglasses. To connect and collaborate with extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup, Looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Lately, I've been using uh, a new tech company called Levels, which is really cool to track my glucose. I don't know what's going to happen yet. It's something I've never done before, but I will tell you it's very interesting to have a thing permanently, not permanently, semi-permanent, on my arm, almost like a robot, and I just scan myself all day long and see how my body's reacting to food. So I'm a binge eater. (laughs) And yesterday I just had a craving for stuff. And I went over to Trader Joe's and bought some things. And I had great energy throughout the day. And then when I bought my, you know, my sugary things, like I wanted to crash by 7.38 p.m. And I looked and it was definitely like, and okay, yes, I know this is no surprise because the whole thing of like a sugar crash and this kind of stuff. But I still thought it was interesting how I had, you know, really even kill energy throughout the day. And then all of a sudden, I just wanted to go to sleep immediately. And it wasn't like a good feeling like, oh, I feel all relaxed. I want to go to sleep. It was like, oh, gosh, like, I just felt like I couldn't do even one more thing. And there were things that I wanted to take care of. So I think it's interesting levels. And I want to see what ends up happening. Let me know if you've tried levels before and what you think of it and what you learned about your body. All right. Enjoy the next episode. 
to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest, Tatiana, coming at us from my hometown, Los Angeles. Hi, Tatiana. <laughs> hello, hello. I feel like I should be in like a like a wrestler garb coming out, like with my <laughs> with oh my god, like outfit. You know what's so funny <laughs> about that is I'm actually inspired to do the intro from being in love with wrestling growing up. It's a it's a cross between wrestling steven tyler with his you know from aerosmith with his mic and his huge flag like that kind of energy and and i don't remember what else i think it was just those two things but definitely wrestling that's where i get the whole thing welcome and then they, ted dibiase you know <laughs> like <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so tatiana go ahead and tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do Sure, I'm Tatiana Mulry, and I am kicking off a venture fund called Steamwork Ventures. And this is born out of love of startups. I've been working with startups for about 14 years, helping them with marketing, growth, product, um, design. And I've seen how hard it is for certain types of startups to get the capital they need. So I'm joining forces with a couple of partners and really trying to apply some energy to solving that problem. My past life, I've been in FinTech for over 20 years. I worked at MasterCard for 10 of those years and built out the infrastructure for mobile commerce as well as the first developer program there. So I really um, have a genuine deep love for FinTech. And that's, um, I would say that's the majority of my career has been around that. Before we like get into like how you fell in love with technology and all the things that I love to talk about developing like your journey throughout the space, I've been thinking lately a lot about my why. I've been doing this podcast for going on seven, eight years now and been doing community building for like over 10 years. And so I've been like really like reflecting on my why and my purpose and like what it means to me. And what I've come to is that what truly matters to me is forming meaningful connection amongst others, like really making it so that people could connect. Like, so this podcast to me isn't just a podcast. It's a way for everyone to know about you and you to know about everybody else. So with all of that huge disclaimer being said, how can people connect with you? Instead of waiting to the end, I want people to know how to connect with you now. <laughs> My absolute favorite is Twitter. So I'm at Tanya Mulry on Twitter and I love, love, love talking to people on Twitter and seeing what's going on. And that's how I first saw you for sure. And then our mutual friend, uh, Zach Stern connected us. So I'm really grateful for that. I'm totally about connections. In fact, our thesis is about connected solutions. I feel like we have so much ability with technology to stay in connection and to help people through this power of connection. So I'm very much in line with your your purpose there. I love it. And you know, I love that you bring up Zach too and shout out to Zach for syncing us together. Zach is one of the most thoughtful connectors. He's so sincere in his relationships and his follow-up and he, he genuinely cares about the you behind the business. Mm, I think so too. He's a, he's a very dynamic guy. And the funny way that I found Zach was on Twitter. I was saying, Hey, I'm coming up on my um, anniversary. I've been married a very, very long time. I won't disclose. Congratulations. This, this is evergreen, <laughs> right? And so you run out of ideas <laughs> for what do you want to do on date night? 
So I said, hey, free startup idea on Twitter. Hey, free startup idea. You know, somebody has to help us, you know, maintain relationships and come up with date night ideas once you're actually together. And somebody from his team, shout out to his social team, uh, found me, started chatting with me, and then that's how we got connected. So that's pretty cool. We've actually never met in person, but that's one of those great stories of, um, you know, how people can really form relationships. So his app is uh, official and it's pretty cool. So if you're looking for date night ideas, everybody should download that and check 100%. it out. hundred percent. I'm not positive. I think it's getofficial.app. Do you remember the URL by chance? Yes. Is it getofficial.app? I think it is getofficial. We'll check. I think so, yeah. And we'll include it in the show notes as well. And one thing I think Tatiana and I are happy to share with everyone listening is Sometimes things aren't perfect and that's okay. Meaning like we're doing this podcast right now and between like the lawnmower happening right when we start and like the recording system being pixelated, like sometimes life is pixelated and it is okay to keep moving forward despite it being pixelated. I know that's a really like funny comment, but I think it's so important because I feel like we get discouraged. Like we feel like we don't know enough. We're not doing enough. We're not perfect enough. And it's just like, let just ship it. Just X, just go. Yeah. So, so true. I can think of so many um, times in my life where that has, you know, somebody's offhanded comment has stopped me in my tracks and made me really think, okay, is this even viable? Am I, you know, it's, I, I know that there's a lot of articles going around right now about don't stop telling women that they have imposter syndrome. However, you know, that doubt creeps in and, a, you know, poorly formed comment, it can really set people off in the wrong direction. But you're right. You just have to um, look at your North Star, figure out your purpose and say, no, I don't care what this one person says about this or me or the idea or the business model or whatever it is. You just have to keep marching. Totally. My mom says, don't close your own door. And I try to remember that because I think that so many times at least it, I'm just going to speak for myself. I definitely have often had imposter syndrome. I've definitely had self-limiting beliefs. And so when I think of my mom saying, don't close your own door, I ask myself, okay, am I closing my own door right now? Or does that door actually need and want to be closed? And most of the time, it's me just having imposter syndrome and having self-limiting beliefs. I wish I knew your mom 10 years ago when I was pitching to angel investors. And I remember going to this, I had I went to an event. They had like a speed pitching 30 second pitch competition. I nailed it. They gave me a subscription to their boot camp, this angel group, which is now defunct. And for good reason, hopefully it'll appear later in the story. So I go to their boot camp. I've got my amazing deck. I had, you know, this crazy career at MasterCard. It was super, super successful there. Did not anticipate that I would be up against this wall of I could call it out, but I won't say just attitudes. Let's call it in a very polite way, attitudes. I, you know, I was pitching this app. It was very early in the app days. And I had this investor just go, what's an app? And well, is this a lifestyle business? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And it felt to me like he was saying, Ugh you know, you're just a mom in a minivan, you know, going to soccer practice. How could you be running a real business? Meanwhile, I had been running like a ridiculous tens of millions of dollars businesses at MasterCard. So 
I was very offended and it was a, you know, stupid, naive move to not like push past that and ignore him and just move on. So, I mean, I just, I've been there. I know it's really, really tough. And those traumatic memories will stay with you a very, very, very long time and be that soundtrack in your head that can really hold you back. So that was one jerk, not my entire career. Let's actually lean into that a a little bit more because I think it's important. There are so many different personalities in the world period. Like we all have such different personalities. Most times, and definitely feel free to disagree with me if if you don't agree. I feel like most times we're talking to someone's past life experiences and their own traumas. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with us, but at least I know I've internalized someone speaking to me nasty, like what's wrong with me? And I think like in that situation you had, it was like, oh my gosh, and it throws you off. And the more we could train ourselves to understand and filter out, when does it actually have to do with us to evolve versus when is someone just speaking out of their own traumas? I think everybody speaks out of their own traumas always. Um, And it depends on, you know, how the information is delivered to you and who that reminds you of and how that sparks you in a different way, because there could be somebody who said the same thing to me, but with a different attitude or tone that would have been totally fine. And I could have just run over it like a tiny little pebble, not a speed bump. Right. And so I think everybody reacts to people based on their own lens rather than considering the lens of the other person. And that person is really genuinely a person who did not understand what an app was. (laughs) And that was like absolutely mind-blowing for me because all I've been doing is software and apps for for a very long time. Before there was an iPhone, I was working on apps. So not everybody has uniform information about the technology you're building. And I think that is a big oversight that a lot of entrepreneurs have, right? They don't explain things in, um, I would say, in the language a precocious 10 or 12 year old would use. And, you know, when you're getting pitches from a scientist or from a, you know, machine learning expert or whatever, an investor doesn't have all that background. They couldn't possibly have 50 degrees, (laughs) right? To cover all of the scope of the areas where they might be interested in investing. And so you really have to boil it down to them in simple language that anyone could understand and then dive deeper if there's enough interest. Let's get into your background. I mean, you you have such a magnificent background and how you came to be where you are today. Let's start with actually where you are today and tell us more about Steamworks and then we'll go backward and where you started. So tell us about today. The name Steamwork really came out of this realization that there were a lot of amazing companies in the in the STEAM subjects, right? Science, technology, engineering, arts, math. And that's where a lot of the jobs are going to come from. And so I noticed in my own community that we were overeducating our youth and sending them off to college to get these fancy degrees. And they were coming home to the community and they were not finding those kinds of jobs. And I was like, this is a big disconnect, even in a small community of, you know, our city is about 300,000 people. We're creating this brain drain. So what's going on? Like, how can we actually stimulate the economy and have the right jobs waiting for people when they come back from school? And so I just set on this path to try to create that kind of opportunity in my community. I opened a co-working space that was originally called Steamworks Center, you know, due to some construction problems, I ended up closing it, but it wasn't a, a magnificent, 
you know, time to really bond and find all of these amazing entrepreneurs who are doing cool things. They still were struggling to raise because they weren't in San Francisco. They didn't have the connections. Maybe like LA is maturing as a, a venture community, but it still takes time to create those relationships. And that's time that entrepreneurs don't have. They can't be driving five hours in every direction to go to different events and still build their companies. And so, you know, I have been involved deeply in uh, different parts of our community. I've been involved in social venture partners with nonprofit pitch competitions here in LA, which were absolutely phenomenal. I love that. Then I also got involved with Founders Boost LA, which was previously called Startup Boost LA and kind of came out of the Startup Next spinoff from Techstars. And I've been mentoring startups for many, many years. Um, Now I've been running that program for two years as co-director. And so I was seeing these phenomenal companies from uh, with underrepresented founders, about 80 to 100 percent of our founders are from underrepresented backgrounds on some dimension. And they were coming out of these programs, getting into tech stars, getting into all kinds of great accelerators, getting starting to raise, but still feeling like there was some structural issues in the L.A. market. I wanted to personally be able to be involved in helping them get that cat that capital that they needed because I had all these really deep relationships with them. I felt like I could help them better if I had more access to capital on their behalf. And so that's where the venture uh, firm was started. I found a couple partners who are equally passionate about this and with, with amazing backgrounds. I would say I'm more of like the CMO type and product person. I have a CFO type with um, great exits and he like knows how to navigate companies to exit and private equity. And um, I worked on the MasterCard IPO. My other partner is more of an operations guy with a deep uh, background in investment firms. And so we just had these phenomenal contacts and the three of us were like the three legs of a stool to help founders with the, you know, the foundation elements of getting their company off the ground. And we were just like, this is it. This is the perfect team. Let's go do this. And where can people find out more? So our website is steamwork.vc. And you can kind of check a, check out our thesis, check out our bios. And also the connect page on that site is where you can pitch your, your company. And I would love to hear from founders who resonate with that, that vision. Our, our thesis is around connected solutions that impact health, wealth, or the earth. And that generally includes a software Yes. So that generally starts with software and dives into some really interesting things that can be done with data and sometimes has a device. Unlike a lot of venture firms, we have some manufacturing experience under our belts. And so we're able to help companies that may also have some type of a a hardware solution as well. Let's reel it back to like, when did you first become interested in technology? I mean, When I was a kid, I wanted to invent so many things. I remember saying I wanted to abolish money. And like, here we are in the age of Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's so many, you know, interesting kind of like premonitions. I used to make concoctions, um, little inventions and things all the time. I loved building things. So at a young age, I just knew I wanted to be a creator of some kind, right? But I, that, that wasn't really a word that was applied. You either want to be like an astronaut or a teacher or a policeman, right? <laughs> Nobody grew up and said, I want to be an investment banker. Or I want to be, <laughs> you know, I want to reinvent money. That wasn't a thing. But I ended up 
studying economics at NYU and getting jobs at investment banks in New York City. And I started to see how that system worked. It was really, really intriguing and interesting. At the time when I was at those banks, I'm going to date myself, you guys and you ladies. I remember when Netscape went public, <laughs> I was sitting on the trading floor, like watching all the craziness and it like came out. I don't remember where in the teens or something went to like 95. It was it was just like absolute mayhem. And that was kind of the beginning, right, of everything that we see today. Like if if those kinds of IPOs didn't happen, then we wouldn't be we wouldn't be on Squadcast doing this for sure. Right. So. So I just saw the very beginnings of it, and it was super cool. So when I went to MasterCard, um, little by little, I just became involved in technology projects. Whether or not people realize it, the uh, payment system is just like one big, humongous, amazing uh, technology infrastructure that like makes everything go, like all these transactions go. And so I was involved in doing authorization system releases and writing the chargeback rules. Y'all can... Um, hate on me later because nobody likes chargebacks as a merchant. (laughs) And, um, you know, little by little, they're like, hey, you did a good job of that. Why don't you build our corporate CRM or our licensing system or brand standards um, system or design approval system? And then later, I volunteered to be one of the founding members of the information products and services team where we took our transaction data and built really interesting analytics tools um, that could help the banks optimize their their different processes. So their marketing, their operations. Um, We built predictive models. One of my patents is a predictive model around uh, looking at cardholder data and saying, oh, that might be a small business. We should start offering them more services. And then the next phase was mobile. I became absolutely obsessed with the idea that we were going to pay with our phones and that there was so much else we could do. I did my first mobile project, mobile payments project in uh, 2000, my first mobile website in 1999. So just for context, right? Blackberries in the sort of phase I went through from like 2000 to 2005, I'd say a lot of work was done. I mean, people, executives had Blackberries, but nobody, else really had phones. Maybe razors were coming out at the time. Like we all had our flip phones and our like little tactile key phones. I have a whole uh, phone museum that I love to share with my students because um, I, I teach mobile design at, at USC as well. It's one of my little side hustles. It's really fun, fun to be with um, young students. And sometimes I have all females and I, and I weep because it's so awesome to see women getting into technology. But anyway, I just... I saw this thing and I was, you know, and the, the connection it could bring. And, uh, and I was like, this, this is something, why are we not paying attention to this? So you have to picture, I was maybe 30, I guess I was, I don't know, maybe a little, I don't know, in that age, plus or minus two years. Right. And I was like, we have to do something about this. So I marched to my boss's boss's boss with a proposal that I go around and interview all of the stakeholders in the company as well, which is like all the SVPs at above all around the world at MasterCard. I was going to interview them. I was going to interview all of the carriers and the, which are the um, mobile network operators, you know, the Verizon, Sprint, AT&T. And I was going to talk to all of the handset manufacturers. At the time, we were doing a lot with Nokia and Motorola, which is almost... 
I'm really dating myself now, and come up with a mobile strategy. Like, this is how we should go to market. This is what everybody wants. Um, I also had to talk to a lot of the banks as well, because they all wanted a piece of the transaction in mobile commerce. And um, the, the technology that everybody wanted to focus on was contactless payments, but the phones didn't have the chips and antennas required to do near-field communication yet. So we were doing pilots where you took the backplate off the phone, you put on a new backplate with the prototype chip that could access the battery, and then you could tap your phone at a terminal. We were putting a lot of the merchant terminals into big places like NFL stadiums, um, CVS, McDonald's, Dwayne Reed, that sort of thing. And so I got to do one of the first public uh, transactions in mobile commerce. So I walked into McDonald's in Fairfield, Connecticut, and ordered a Happy Meal and tapped my phone on the terminal and freaked the woman out. So she jumped back. I was scared she was going to slip in the grease. She's like, what did you do? How did that happen? (laughs) So that was super fun to do that kind of thing. But 20 years later, now it's important. Why, like in the last two years, contactless is all the rage, but nobody had even used that word in a sentence before the pandemic, except for fintech geeks like me. (laughs) So yeah, sometimes you have the technology way, way, way earlier than people really have a genuine problem. You know, is it that hard to whip your card out of your wallet? Do you really need to have a mobile wallet until, you know, nobody wanted to touch anything? It just took a long time to to actually get adopted. So I got frustrated. I mean, to change the industry... The handset manufacturers were like, why would we put this in our phones? It's going to cost us an extra hundred bucks a handset. This is crazy. Unless we get a slice of the transaction, we're not interested. Similarly, the banks wanted a bigger chunk. And I mean, it was just a mess, right? So I knew that until somebody spent $20 million in advertising, nothing was going to change. Nobody was going to adopt this. And it was really frustrating. And I knew I was capable of a lot. Um, Even in a big company, I could get a lot done. So I had a $2 beer at a bar in Orlando where I was speaking at a banking conference with the guy from from AT&T, well, Singular at the time, about the future of mobile commerce. And my friend, I was commiserating. I'm like, I'm so frustrated. There's, you know, it's going to be so slow to actually get this off the ground. I got to go do something more interesting. Maybe startup life is for me. And he was the CMO of a venture-funded startup in Los Angeles. So he's like, come out for an interview. (laughs) So I did. And uh, the rest is history. That's how I ended up in LA. The company lasted nine months. (laughs) And then the crash happened. And so I got into consulting and decided to go and, and be a founder myself at a certain point and just love, love, love. Um, working with startups and helping them navigate this early stage. It's so fun. That's so cool. And in your, I mean, you've, ex- you've done so much throughout your journey. Has there been an obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? 
Yeah, working in technology and banking for over 20 years, there have been some obstacles. One of them has not been a line at the ladies' room in any convention center, at any, any conference ever. Like, I've always had free access to as many stalls as I needed. You know, I think my biggest obstacle was feeling like I had to operate in a way that wasn't authentically me and finding a style that could um, be acceptable to run these massive teams of mostly men from every culture. You know, I was running remote teams before there was really remote uh, access. A lot of my team um, mates were in different regions and my technology team was in um, St. Louis and I was in New York. And so I would fly out every two weeks to remain in contact with them and show solidarity with them and really get to know them. But I mean, there were just weird things like coworkers who would say, let's go to have lunch at Hooters or, you know, let's go to this kind of bar. And I'm like, dude, I can see that stuff anytime I want. I don't need to go do that. Like, what was the way (laughs) that I could remain in authority and friendly with them and like joke that off and still keep going. Right. And I mean, none of none of that would be acceptable now, right? There would be different language for it now than there was 20 years ago. But I somehow had to figure out how to push my way through some of those really awkward, weird things. And um, at the same time, as I was doing all that stuff at MasterCard, I had three kids. And that was really uh, fun and interesting. I basically just didn't let it be an in- uh, an issue. We just never discussed it. I never discussed my family. I never discussed my plans other than saying I'm, you know, definitely continuing. It just was a piece of me I couldn't bring to work, even though it was visible <laughs> and obvious that I was super pregnant, right? Um, and so, yeah, that just felt like it was a big part of my life was shut off. And it was something that I felt like I dressed and acted like a man for 20 years to get through this industry. And so when I come to this new era and everybody is very, very much about emphasizing, you know, their femininity or their sexual identity, their gender identity, it's like, what? We're talking about that now? I I really struggle in a lot of ways. Not that I'm not an ally anybody who wants to express themselves in any way, but I just never had access to that. I really felt like that was a part of me that I couldn't bring to work. And I am super grateful and happy that the discussion is opening up a new way of being at work, but I'm still navigating that myself. So I really, you know, I feel like we've are blessed that lots of people came before us to open doors, like our my parents and my mom and, uh, you know, others in her generation really did a lot for me. And I'm hoping that me pushing through is going to do a lot for the next generation too. And yeah, but there's just a, a lot to navigate there. You know, how can we all be ourselves at work and, and demand that we be seen for our talents and not just our gender? And what's one of the best pieces of advice that you've gotten? I mean, I feel like you deliver some heavy advice this just earlier in this podcast with your mom's uh, recommendation. <laughs> You're trying to be like, my wow, mom. I wish I had known that. <laughs> yeah, man. I like your mom was pretty wise. Now I'm going to have to come up with my own advice. You know, really check in with 
everyone. I would say a lot of times we don't really care, like, we try to push our own agenda through without asking what someone else um, wants the outcome to be without like understanding their thoughts and feelings about it because we have an objective and we don't, um, you know, we don't really check in with our coworkers, with uh, collaborators and see this problem from all the different, um, all the different perspectives. Um, when I learned to do that, it changed everything for me in my career. I remember having a a letter from a woman who was temping for me at MasterCard telling me that I was a good manager, I was very smart, but I was cold. And I still remember that like 20 something years later. And I was like, cold? Like, that's the last thing. <laughs> There's I would nothing want to cold be. about no, you. Yes. But in the environment where I felt like I had to constrain myself, I had to be a certain way, I had to act a certain way, I could see how she felt that way. But I wish I knew that before she left, right? So um, after that letter, I remember just thinking, wow, I really have to start spending time that I thought was a waste of time at first, maybe. Really trying to understand other people's perspectives before making decisions and have them be a part of the solution building to gain buy-in. That wasn't obvious to me. Our school system teaches us to be individual contributors and get good grades and do things on our own. It doesn't teach us how to interact with a team. And I think, you know, learning to check in with others is, uh, was the biggest lesson I learned. 100%. 100%. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. You're so inspiring and you've done so much. What's a book that you think we should all read and check out? What's really inspired you? This is going to seem so weird because it's literally the only non-business, non-technology book I've read or listened to. I love audiobooks. But the one that's impacted me most this year is called Third Culture Kids. And it's because I grew up in a very different um, cultural community than the, my culture of origin. And I really have been thinking so much about how we interact with the culture around us. And that was so interesting. It was all about children who um, grow up in different environments. Think like um, expats kids or missionaries kids or um, you know people who have grown up in a different culture. And there's so many blessings from that, but there's also this lack of a, of like firm identity. You kind of like don't belong to either world and how do you make your way? So insightful because I think so many of us feel like the outsider in so many ways. Um, it explained to me why this, you know, fostering connection and belonging and communities was so important to me. And I just think anybody that resonates with this that just feels like, wow, like I, I just haven't fit into my community or I really don't understand where I like fit in the technology world, for example, I mean, the, the lessons from that book could really apply in so many different situations. That's a perfect, perfect suggestion. And can you share one more time how people could connect with you? Yes, definitely find me on Twitter at Tanya Mulry, T-A-N-I-A-M-U-L-R-Y, or um, reach out to us through our website, steamwork.vc. And are there any last thoughts that you wanted to share that we haven't covered? I want to thank you. Because I know that you do so much for the community and 
you know, I was kind of secretly standing you on Twitter and then Zach suggested we meet. And I'm like, why did I not just reach out to begin with? But I know that you're just one of the OG community builders here in LA. And I want to thank you for, you know, paving the way for everything that I'm able to do now too. So thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you saying that. Wow, now I'm going to get all teary-eyed. Thank you so much. Like that means, <laughs> that caught me completely off guard. Uh, <laughs> that means a lot. That no. means like such well, a deep level of a lot to me. The, <laughs> that just means the hugs are going to be that much better when we finally get to see each other in person. A hundred percent. I cannot wait. That can't come soon enough to get back in person podcasting. With that being said, to connect and collaborate with more amazing women in tech around the world, remember to go to womenintechvip.com. Womenintechvip.com takes you to the Women in Tech community. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you, talk to you, all the things in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Tatiana Mulry, general partner and co-founder of Steamwork Ventures, a series C to series A investment firm. And we're based in Los Angeles. You're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.